influencers. Let's get bouge. Listen to Abe Thompson for an hour. I'd rather fuck a blood relative. It's Abe Thompson. Ladies and gents, beauties and influencers, welcome, welcome to episode 166 of Aid Thompson and Other Disappointments, your twice-weekly delve into all things politics and dystopia. Uh, an uplifting look at the downers of the modern world. We talk about the climate change shit show. We pull apart the Russia-Ukraine shit show. We drink our way through the Brexit and Tory corruption shit show and bundle it up and ship it out to you all wrapped up as this lovably shit show. A uh, quick doff of the cap to the Patreons. I'm looking forward to catching up with you all over a beer or two. That's on Friday the 28th of April. Um, if you like the sound of this podcast, do consider jumping on uh, the Patreon. It's patreon.com forward slash aid Thompson. Um, for the tiers, they start at like £3 a month, um, but you can get access to the Discord. That's like instant messaging Discord chat that we have. I pop in there every day. We talk shit about Tories. We post memes. It's a good time. You get an RSS feed, which means that you get episodes of the podcast two days before everyone else, and they go straight into your regular podcast player. Um, there is a gig coming up in July, a live show. Um, that's probably going to be in Dalston and tickets for that will go out to the Patreons first. So as I say, don't be a stranger. Jump on patreon.com forward slash aid Thompson. Now, Friday nights, I normally have a guest with me. And then on Wednesday, I do a solo show in which I rant, roast and ridicule my way through the news. I douse my funny bone in liquor and try to make sense of the senseless. But this week is a bit of a switch around. Um, right now, I'm joined by a guy that I'm super psyched to be talking to or speaking with. You will have no doubt seen his uh, satirical content permeating through the chaotic wilds of Twitter, uh, if not seen him at one of his many fringe shows, including Truth and Pleasure and Grow Up Green. Uh, if it's your first time listening, you've joined us for a good one. Please pull up a chair, crack open a beer or a cheeky G&T, and welcome to the show, Matt Goddamn Green. Woo! <laughs> I should I should use that. That's uh, that should be my wrestling name. Yeah, it's it's pretty good, isn't it? Um, how are you doing? You okay? I'm all right. Yeah, I'm good. Thanks. Yeah, how are you? Yeah, I'm okay. Um, I've had some technical issues. <laughs> this I'm, morning. I'm aware. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my son tried to break into the cabin as we were recording the first take of this. So it's a great blooper. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it's all good. Uh, all good. This end. Um, really chuffed to get you on, Matt. Um. I, I suppose I, like uh, a lot of people, first became aware of you through seeing your satirical shorts going on uh, Twitter, catching fire, going viral. Um, when I was sort of looking into your background ahead of you coming on here today, um, I was quite sort of like pleased and refreshed and like to see that there was this entire sort of fringe Matt Green beforehand. Now, I've been to Edinburgh Fringe myself. Um, it is a you know a chaotic, anxious, but hilarious time up there. Um, I wondered if maybe you could take us through like your journey of starting off as you know fringe or like even just just live comedy, as it were, and how you've landed at where you are now today. Yeah, sure. I mean, I basically started, I guess, pretty young. I, I love doing like school plays uh, and like little sketch shows and stuff at school. Uh, and then when I was at university, I, I joined the comedy society there. We did loads of um, loads of 
yeah fringe shows sketch shows every couple of weeks there was um a sort of slight sort of open mic night type thing so you could kind of try out material mm. and then every term we did like a full show so at christmas there was like a pantomime and spring there was a uh, a sketch show and then in the summer there was a sketch show that went on tour so that's that was my first experience of doing the edinburgh fringe was part of that tour fell in love with it mm. um did a couple of those tours and then after i graduated did a couple of sketch shows up there and then yeah sort of i guess <clears throat> nearly oh god nearly 20 years ago now did um did some stand-up for the first time because i felt like because although sketch shows and plays uh, and things like that are great and really good fun the problem with them is that you're always reliant on other people uh, mm. and you have to work with other people even if it's just two of you that's you know you always have to organize rehearsals around each other's schedules and stuff uh, and i thought i just want to do something that's just me um mm. And uh, I, I knew a couple of people who'd started doing stand up and I went to see them and I thought, oh, OK, I can probably I can see my way into doing this, I think. Um, just booked some open mic gigs and kind of went on from there, really. And as I say, it's been nearly 20 years since I did my first gigs. And um, after two or three years, sort of started going a bit more professional and um, that became my my job. So for the last yeah, for most of the last 20 years, I was basically a jobbing stand-up i'd go around the country i do edinburgh fringe shows most years sometimes camden fringe instead um and uh yeah that was kind of what i was doing and it was only really and then i guess probably maybe four or five years ago i started doing a bit more sort of making short films um right helping helping a friend of mine who's a director sort of making stuff and then learning how to do some editing and learning how to use the the phone camera and to, to make little videos and things and um and that sort of was really i was lucky that I, I felt yeah quite lucky the timing of that that i sort of started learning that when lockdown happened and of course for everyone who works yeah. in stand-up live comedy it was got you know <clears throat> there was no comedy no live comedy allowed for like you know over a year um so we all had to find other stuff to do and i i, I wasn't sure what i would do i didn't know you know there, were, there was a part of me that thought i might just give up and do something totally different but i started making these little sketches at home and initially they were kind of just they were actually about the fringe they're about the fact the fringe was cancelled and and sort of jokes about that and then a few other sort of random little covid jokes and then i so for the first year or so i think of lockdown and covid i kind of was doing a sort of whole variety of things and making sketches about all sorts of stuff and then slowly i began to think actually what i want to do is more political stuff more satirical stuff mm. that seemed to work quite well on twitter people seem to enjoy it and sort of start sharing it more and as you say some of the videos started going a bit viral and it's always been like i've always loved satirical and political comedy like i've always loved things like the day-to-day -day or you know anything that Armando manduanucci has been involved in or chris morris or people like that and so i, I always but i always found that quite hard to do on stage like yeah talking about politics is is not easy in a stand-up environment particularly if you're playing a club show at a weekend people don't normally want to hear about you know what's going on in westminster probably um yeah. you can do a couple of jokes about it but you can't do like a whole set on it probably uh or at least i i was i would always find that quite tricky was it um was it like because i i feel very similar so the stand-up that i used to do was primarily around like taking drugs music um trying to get laid like all of you know box tick box tick box tick like yeah, traditional yeah. i guess i would say like east coast american style stand-up yeah. right um but it wasn't because i wasn't interested in political comedy I, I i found that quite stimulating to watch but i always felt like you you as a stand-up you have to be so acutely conscious 
of what your face is like what your face is capable of delivering like there's a yeah. there's a place for political comedy on a stage but i didn't feel like it should come out of my face it was something i was <laughs> capable of delivering it was much better suited to like a ben elton or yeah yeah, yeah. Or, or someone was it the same with you like you didn't feel like you could do that or you would just you yeah just preferred a, doing i mean that's stuff? a good yeah that's a good way of putting it i mean i think in some ways definitely that um there were definitely i i think when you when you do comedy as you know like as you do stand up you kind of you learn what your voice is you mm. learn what um what an audience will accept from you and what they won't accept from you and if you talk about something that you're interested in but they're not interested in you very quickly realize that that there's a kind of clash there and mm. that they and, and and yeah you have to read a room you have to be able to play to who's in front of you you can do the funniest joke in the world but if it's not funny to those people then you've got a problem and yeah. i think and I think, yeah, for years, for a long time, I kind of my yeah, my my style was quite observational, quite personal, um, quite improvisational with the audience um, when I was particularly when I was comparing. And that was fine. And 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 I and I would sort of feed in little bits of political stuff, little bits of topical stuff when I could. And that was fine. But it, it, it felt I always felt like um, I was slightly fighting what the audience wanted from me, you know, right. that they, they kind of didn't necessarily want that, but they were, they were happy to take it for a bit, but they then wanted me to talk about other stuff. And that's why I'm really, I'm doing uh, my first um, sort of tour show uh, next, the beginning of next year. It's not fully confirmed yet, but it's going to be beginning of 2024. And I'm doing work in progress shows this summer uh, in, to sort of build to that. And, and that's very, very much sort of, the first time I'm going to be aiming a show at people who've seen my stuff online yeah, and therefore hopefully have an interest in politics, have an interest in topical stuff. Yeah. And it's not going to be completely politics um, based. There will be other stuff in it. There will be some uh, material that definitely there'll be um, standard material in it. That's more kind of personal and more observational than I'm sort of more used to doing, but there's definitely gonna be a big chunk of political stuff in it. And I'm really excited. I'm sort of excited and, and nervous and intrigued and, and, um, uh, yeah, looking forward to seeing how that works. Like if an audience who like my stuff online comes to see it and they, you know, will there be a, quite a different audience? Will it actually be quite similar? It's, that's going to be mm. quite an exciting experiment. Is there a, a sort of like a blurring of the lines in the sense that so on Twitter, your stuff is very political, very satirical. And then maybe there's a temptation to drag that audience into more of the observational stand up, the broad stuff. But then conversely, when you do live stuff, you you slowly want to expose that live following to more of the political stuff you know yeah i i think i think it's i think you've always just got to be aware of what you're doing and who the audience is like if you're playing to a saturday night weekend gig in central london where half the audience are tourists and almost you know everyone's come out for a good night out you'd be a bit silly i think to just spend the whole gig talking about you know the financial crisis or something you know like it, it wouldn't <laughs> or how it's always evil because yeah because you can you know you can definitely throw some of that stuff in and people will respond to it but if you just spend the whole time doing that then you're kind of not really fulfilling a brief you know yeah. that's not really what the audience are there for um whereas i think when you're doing your own show yeah you you always have a bit more of a a, a leeway to like a license to just do you know their seat is they're there to see you and yeah. so they want to see what you've got to say about stuff. So it's a bit different to going to a gig. Um, and that's why I think that's why, yeah, stand up and political stuff is always a bit tricky that, that you're always slightly clashing between those two audiences. And um, yeah, I mean, they, but, but of course they're different. The, the thing about a sketch online is that 
I'm, you know, I'm pitching that to people who I think will like it. And hopefully that's, you know, um, lots of people, but I don't know. But whoever those people are, if they like it, they'll be the ones who will share it and retweet it and, and comment on it and whatever. And the people who don't like it, nine times out of 10, they just ignore it. Yeah, you know, they just they just go. No, that's not for me. Occasionally, you get a few people saying, "Oh, this is rubbish" or whatever. But actually, I found my personal experience, and I've been lucky, I think, on Twitter is that, and and on YouTube and all the other places I put stuff, is mostly people just either like it or ignore it. Yeah, but that's a bit harder to do in a live environment, you know, because because if, if someone's enjoying it, great. But if someone's not enjoying it, then quickly that's well, hang on, you're meant to be entertaining them as well. So you yeah. kind of you can't you can't cut half the audience off. You know, well, uh, also, it becomes this sort of like, and forgive me for a, a slightly clumsy term here, but it becomes kind of crowd cancer. It's like if there's <laughs> if there's three or four people over here who are quite obviously not having a good time. Yeah. They actually become so much of a distraction, like to the other audience. They're like, wow, look at that. They are all they're not happy. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. is he going to respond to that? Is it like and then you've got kind of, I don't know, a row or two rows of people at the front who are on the edge of their seat like yeah buttocks on eggshells thinking you know and then they're no longer listening to you and that's you know obviously the fundamental part of your yeah your stuff absolutely i mean i think i think it's different like it's um i think on twitter you can say your piece and move on like mm. and you you put the video out there and it's up to people whether they like it or not and if they like it great if they don't fine whereas yeah in a live environment you're always a bit more aware of the audience and they're a bit more aware of you and it's more of a conversation because it has to be yeah um because you're in a you know you're in a space and i, I remember hearing Stuart lee said something which i um, i'm sure he's not the only person who said this but I, he's the person i remember saying it which is the show is what happens in the room mm. so in a live environment whatever happens that's what's happening that's the show you know yeah. so uh, if it's going well or badly that you've got to do something with it um Whereas, yeah, with Twitter, with Twitter videos, I can kind of sculpt them and make them exactly what I want them to be and get the timing exactly right and all the editing exactly how I want it. Um, and I love that. It's great. It's part of why I really love doing them. But I'm aware that when you go into a live environment, yeah, there is more of a sort of, um, yeah, a dialogue. Yeah. Yeah. You you seem to escape a lot of the the, the sort of barrage of political hate that a lot of people get <laughs> on Twitter. Like, I think, like, part of it is that you've got quite a likeable face, if you'll forgive me for saying. Like, you you, you sort of, you know, you're, you're not somebody who I could imagine getting into a screaming row at a bus stop. Um, I, I, I hope that's fair, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there are content creators who do give off that energy, and so I yeah. guess maybe it's easier to then get combative in return, reciprocally, to them. Um, but it does feel like... You know, I, I can put a uh, a video out highlighting Tory social services neglect, or I can put a video out highlighting institutional racism, and I will get just a barrage of abuse. Um, some of the people I'm quite friendly with within the content creation and, and satire space also get a lot of abuse. You seem to sort of navigate your way around that. I don't know if it's partly because you, you come off as very likable, or if it's that there's more comedic mileage than there is activism mileage like you're more focused on the joke than yeah yeah I, I think so i mean i i'm definitely a comedian first and everything else second mm. like uh, i'm you know every time i make a video i want it to be funny i want people to laugh at it and occasionally if i put something out that or if i write something that it's a bit more strident than not i i do always kind of 
worry about that a bit like i always think is this actually funny or am i being a bit too preachy or a bit too kind of mm. just playing to the choir and i think you know that, that that i think that's just that's partly just my own instincts um based on working live like i i, I always want to get the laugh even if i don't i can't hear it <laughs> I, don't, I want the yeah. people to uh, at home enjoy it and that's also just who i am like i'm not an activist i'm not a you know i haven't been someone who's been on the front lines you know i've been to a few protests over the years and i've signed a few petitions and all that kind of stuff but i'm not someone who is you know really deep into that world um i like to think that if i'm doing satire um that's kind of useful in any way it's about sort of helping people laugh at the ridiculousness of what's going on and hopefully see some of the kind of awfulness but from a um from sort of ironic point of view so they don't go completely mad um and and also i think it's partly because i don't really talk in my own voice online like you know i'm mostly talking the voice of a character you know i'm mostly playing a a interviewer or a minister or a presenter or whatever it is Uh, and when i use stand-up clips that's me as doing stand-up but those are less political normally so it's sort of you, I I'm not stand. I'm not sitting on screen saying, right, you've, you know, this is what I think, and this is what you've got to think. I'm sort of saying, here is a f- comic conceit about what's happened in the news today. Um, take what, take from it what you will. And I hope, and I think it, I think my, you know, what I think and my feelings and my sort of anger and, and my frustration and all that, I think they come through. Yeah. But, but also, I have a number of people who get in touch and say, you know, I'm, I'm. I like Boris Johnson or I'm a conservative fan, but I still like your videos because I think they're funny. And I think, okay, that's fine. Like I'd rather, you know, I want people to have a nice time and have, have you know, enjoy my stuff. And then maybe, maybe some people might go, oh, <laughs> maybe I'm not kind of... like, really? Well, fuck off. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But I think some people would, you know, yeah. I think there is a, there is an element of that. And, and I'm just, yeah, I'm not, uh, I'm definitely on that. I'm definitely on the sort of comedy side of things rather than the kind of actors, activism side. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like I tread that wire maybe a little bit more closely. Like I do rant, I do, and it's coming f- like from me. I'm not. Well, most of the time I'm not doing a character. Sometimes I delve into that world. Um, but yeah, you're right. Maybe that does sort of attract a the the, the counterpoint then more easily. Um, I think also people. Something I decided quite early on. Um, I think it's probably it's probably been slightly to the detriment of 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 clicks is. I, I'm never trying to make something look actually real, right? Like I'm never trying to. I'm never trying to make that. My videos are are sketches. They're comedy sketches, and I, you know, uh, brand them. And it's also me talking to myself normally <laughs> if I'm doing an interview sketch. So it's obviously not a real thing. It's not, yeah. a, you know. Um, and even the ones when I'm, you know, presenting something like it's clearly a joke. Um, so I'm not doing the thing that someone like a Rosie Holt or someone does where they you know they they um edit themselves into yeah, stuff yeah. which is brilliant and it works really really well um but i think she gets a lot more of that kind of you know abuse because people aren't sure if she's real or not and they're they're sort of and then people are kind of uh, attacking her partly because they're attacking the character and then other people are attacking her you know and so whereas yeah, i'm, think I'm, I'm always it. like no this isn't true this isn't real i'm making a joke about what's real but i'm but, not actually trying to you know but be honest like are there still people out there who are so oxygen starved and moronic that they even though it's a video quite obviously of you talking to yourself they still think that it's real and then reply back i definitely i mean i definitely have had a, a bit of that but very <laughs> but, but much much less i think than, than people who really you know who yeah. make an effort to to 
because you know um i just I, I sort of just thought well i saw people like rosie doing it and thought okay that's what they're doing i'll do my own thing yeah and i've sort yeah. of stuck to that um because in some ways she is the sort of counterpoint to to what you do like it, you, you've both exploded in the last what three years since the pandemic i guess that she probably went a similar trajectory like going through the live comedy circuit but then when everything was locked down she started exploring um self-made content satirical lampooning the government um and even though she's in character and even though i think it's quite obvious that it's a joke she does get an awful lot of abuse which you would think like she's she's not being preachy or like activisty it is comedy so the only discernible difference between the two of you other than the fact that she's edi editing herself into new stuff uh is the gender aspect which then lends itself to like well is is this actually just as simple as internet misogyny she gets a load of shit because she's a woman i'm sure i mean i'm always you know very aware that that um women creators get a lot more abuse mm. that's just the case um sadly <laughs> that, that yeah. that's just you know i talk to there are certain stand-ups i've spoken to who've who i've talked to about doing video stuff and they just said oh it's just i just get so much shit on youtube mm. or tiktok or whatever i just get loads of people criticizing what i look like or what i sound yeah. like or and I get that very occasionally, but I can brush that off because it's every so often. But if it happens every single time you get, you know, someone commenting on your body or whatever, then it's just horrible. And, um, you know, it, there's no there's no way around it. That is definitely the case. There is yeah. definitely a lot of misogyny online. Um, and I think I think also what Rosie's doing is something very clever because she's um, she is she's much more sort of mimicking the style of those people those sort of um the way they speak in that sort of slightly broken way and they never quite know what they're saying and so she's sort of whereas my stuff tends to be a bit more kind of like i script it quite tightly and i try to kind of hit trying to hit the gags because that's what i'm yeah. kind of here for um so it's just a, it's a different approach but um but yeah no i'm sure that a big part of it is the uh, gender thing sadly yeah yeah i mean like so i I guess the reason that this is at the forefront of my mind is uh, I, I had quite an interesting exchange with um, some female content creators yesterday and they were saying about how they get called uh, they get called grifters, they get called like they don't advertise their buy me a coffee, you know, support me Patreon links or anything but some like people will go looking for them find them mm. and then say look at this fucking grifting whatever um they get their heads like photoshopped and then put onto animals. They get and like then I barge yeah. into this conversation and I'm like, I've literally like I mention my Patreon at every fucking opportunity, uh, and I've literally never been called a grifter, like not once. Yeah. But yet, put a wig and a skirt on me, and I've got no doubt that within a minute or two, I get the same or very similar treatment. Yeah, it's horrible, and I, I think that is. I mean, it's one of the worst things about the internet is the the um the fact that it has revealed or has kind of re-revealed um, all of the misogyny and all the sexism and the disparity of attention and everything. Yeah. Um, you know, it's um, <clears throat> the internet is the id of humanity, isn't it? Like it just reveals, you know, TikTok is awash with, you know, sexy girls dancing because that's what loads of people want to click on and look at. But then it's also a wash with loads of people commenting on those people going, oh, well, you're disgusting. Why are you doing this? So it's just like 
yeah it, it's both sides isn't it like people want it but they also hate it sort of hate yeah. themselves for wanting it and and that's kind of partly what it i think you know comedy obviously has had for for, for decades for centuries i guess has had a kind of problem with you know are women funny or whatever and that, i think i think that i feel like that question has been you know emphatically answered in the positive over the last sort of 20 30 years there's it's just it's got impossible to to say that now but still on the internet it still asks you know people still say oh i don't find women funny or whatever and it's just like come on join the join the 21st century yeah it's insane but it's like it's not even just random tweeters or whatever like every now and then you will see a mainstream news article say something like but are women funny dot 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 really like question it's like oh my god how many fucking times have we got like can, can you just visit a comedy club yeah Please. or just watch you know watch any tv you know yeah. there's so much good stuff out there but i know it's it's very frustrating but i think and, and you know it's still not it, it's not fixed in the live world there are still way more i was going to ask about that. female comics but it's definitely getting better and there are definitely more you know there are loads of brilliant female comics out there now um and if you go to a comedy club you're more likely to see um a mixed bill gender wise than you ever have been i think yeah yeah good good stuff um yeah because i mean so i'm i'm less well significantly less active on the live circuit now and and i was never uh troubling the bookings of like comedy store or or anywhere um particularly high level um but when i was doing it so this would be going back like five six years ago now um it was i mean it was still pretty bad then there were like horror stories coming out around the open mic circuit from and and this was something that never troubled me i i did not believe that this stuff actually went on because like why would i i was you know this straight white guy um i ask for a spot they say yes that's the end of my interaction with the booking guy meanwhile on like underneath that whole relationship and and uh and apparatus there's just this fucking hellscape for female comedians like can i get on no i've already got like two female comedians onto that oh right okay well can i get on next week well i don't know maybe if you meet me for a drink like it's kind of sleazy it's unfair it's i hope it's got better but there's a a gut feeling a real sense in me that it's actually probably still exactly that bad i think it's i'm sure i mean as i said i can't speak from direct experience either um Mm. I think there is more there is more awareness of it. I think since the Me Too stuff and everything, there has been a bit of a sense of we've got to deal with this. And there are there have been some campaigns, and um, there there are a couple of um, there's a thing called Times Up, and uh, uh, and I can't remember the name of it now. Which is, oh, it's called Get Off. Uh, Get Off, I think Get Off Comedy, which is um, which has been set up as an organisation to sort of help this situation. Mm. And to, um, I think I think it's always a problem in any world where where there are no kind of rules where there are no there's no hr department there's no you know we're all self-employed and even before that you know as you, you know as you say on the open mic circuit everyone's they're not even self-employed they're, they're not even working you know there's no yeah. money involved really it's, it's just people doing it for fun or for to learn how to do it and so i think that in many ways is the bigger problem is the fact that there's this big and I don't know how you deal with it because it's, you know there's this big sort of time commitment that you need to be a comedian, which is schlep around the country, going to loads of rubbish gigs, you know, slowly building up your confidence and your material to the point where people might want to pay you, and at that point you then are becoming a professional. But that takes you know years for some people. Yeah. And um, and 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 how do you support yourself in that time? And 
it's obviously quite discriminatory against people who don't have much money, against people from, you know, working class backgrounds, um, against women who have, you know, caring responsibilities um, more often than men do. And so, and also there's a lot of late nights and you have to <clears throat> come back on night buses and you have to travel, you know, halfway across the country with someone you don't really know in their car and all that. There are all these kind of things about live comedy that make it just structurally quite difficult to, mm. to start and, and do it as a new person. Um, and that is then added to, as you say, as a new woman. So, but also times are tight and money is t tight. And so the idea of saying to all promoters, you have to pay all the open spots, you know, expenses, I think would be a great idea. I think that's a really good idea, yeah. but I can see lots of promoters saying, well, then, you know, that's my, that's half my profit margin. You know, how do I, you know, how do I run a show with, well, with, if I've got 20 quid, 30 quid going out the door when I've only, I'm only making a profit of hundred quid, you know, so these, that this is the problem, you know, like that any of these open spot nights are even making a profit. Like, I mean, my well, exactly, experience yeah. of it is yeah. that they go to a pub that's got a function room, a basement or a loft or something. And they say, oh, I'd like to put on a comedy night. And then the landlord says, well, how much money are you going to bring in? Or do you want to rent the room off me? And then the yeah. promoter's so desperate to put on a night, they'll go like, well, I, you know, I can't really rent it off you, but like, I'll bring in, I'll bring in, you know, trade. Yeah. And then they go, okay, all right. And then they get, they get to put on their night for free. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so then the idea that they would be asked to pay expenses to open micers on top of that, they would just go, well, this isn't fucking, I, I can't yeah. go in debt. Like I'm not going to yeah. pay to put it on. So, and who's, you know, and who's, and, and and there's a lot of you know as with any as with basically anything in the arts you know mm. how do you get people at the bottom to be paid for by people at the top you yeah. know you have to there has to be some sort of and i think that's where there has to be some sort of um redistrib redistribution or something and that's that, that's not very popular these days in, no. uh, in you know in the in general and in government circles in particular i mean that's why i think i think the solution to all of this is probably state funding of stuff you know in the sense of have some sort because because if you if you if you talk to people like um uh like richard herring or someone who who started out doing comedy in the eight late 80s early 90s yeah that, that part of the reason people like that were able to do that was ironically because of thatcher's uh britain had all these sort of enterprise grants and um you could go on the dole basically if you, and if you went on the dole they didn't really care what you were doing you just got some money for for Expense, living expenses yeah. and rent and stuff and then you just had to do you know it's not like job seekers now where it's very you know you've got to be very clear that you're looking for a job all the time and all that stuff and there's much less money available and they also had all these like yeah like enterprise grants where they would give you a few hundred quid to, to sort of set up a business and if you could sort of just say oh, i'm a comedian they'd just give you some money to kind of get on with it and and you what you need is stuff like that for people at the early stages of their careers you know little grants here little grants there not ones that take ages to apply for and can only be ever applied for by arts council friendly you know people but just anybody says i want to try this for a bit mm. i need a few hundred quid to get me going you know and then give and then that that creates that that seeds loads more people into the um into the world of, uh, of being able to do it you're going to get much more diversity of class and uh you know gender and whatever and I think that's how you do it, but but yeah, there's no incentive at the moment for anyone to do that. So yeah. it's uh, yeah, it's difficult. and it's it's interesting. So we're talking about you know comedy industrially, but the same is true also of music, right? So I I heard a interview with, I think it was Damon Albarn, back in the day, and he was saying like if Blur was formed now, there's absolutely no fucking way 
that they would have got to where they got to because of the same schemes like they were able to sign on they were able to have that safety net of the dole without this neck breathing you know pressure behind them to go and find a job to go and uh, attend two or three interviews a week or or whatever plus Um, obviously you know london is massively more expensive than it used to be plus you know all these places are it's quite hard to find somewhere cheap to rent and you know all those all the cost of living stuff applies you know obviously even more so um but yeah and that's why you end up with you know uh, it's harder and harder for people to get into it and the people who do get into it tend to be people who have some sort of independent income or some sort of bank of mum and dad situation yeah um and you know that's there's nothing wrong with those people doing it but we need people everyone doing it you know lots of people doing stuff whether it's music or art or film or comedy or whatever you want people from all you know a greater range because then you're going to get more talent and you're going to get more um com- competition and that's you know yeah. how stuff gets better well it also it i know everyone bangs on about diversity a lot but it's great from a comedy audience's perspective to be able to walk into a club on a thursday or friday night and to just not know what you're going to get like there's only so many white well-spoken guys from a decent educational background and you know their observations and nihilism and and all that that you can like like that's great there's a place for that i'm a big fan of that but it's as as a comedy lover i would much rather be in a a club watching a night where there's five acts and they've all got different life experiences different stories different ways of talking so it becomes a sort of self-perpetuating like good thing if that makes sense definitely and i think that's where I always think that's where the sort of arguments about diversity being sort of forced or, you know, you get a lot of people on the right saying, oh, this is, you know, forced diversity or is unnecessary or whatever. I just think, but no, it's, yeah, there are ways in which that can happen. But but generally, yeah, you just want to hear different voices. And if you hear Mm. people from all over, I think the, I think the problem becomes when it's more, when it becomes quite tick, you know, box ticking, where you're just looking at certain characteristics that can be, that can lead to sort of odd, situations but as long as you're you know using diversity in its widest possible sense of you know of everything age gender ethnicity background class education um you know life experience um style as well you know um sometimes you have a a a bill which is very you know gender and ethnicity diverse but they're all sort of saying the same kind of thing yeah so you kind of want you know in the same kind of way and you think well now it would be more interesting to have a more diverse style as well um and um and in the end you you know i i do have a certain sympathy for promoters because i i occasionally book gigs myself and it is it's quite hard to find you know a very good mixed diversity for every bill because mm. you're always competing with other gigs who want to book people and stuff so that you know i, I don't I don't think people who aren't able to do it every time are in some way, you know, being terrible people. I just get that it can be a bit, it can also be a challenge, um, yeah. but it's a challenge. I think it's worth taking because you might think, I think sometimes people think, Oh, my, my audience won't like that. Or my audience are a bit conservative or they're a bit, and you think, yeah, but you know, they still might want to see something a bit different and, and they well, might want to, they might, they might not know that that's what they want, but if you give it to them, they might be quite excited by it. And you some, you know, I love watching a, an audience at some little pub in, I don't know, you know, the depths of Kent or somewhere. Uh, and, and you see a sort of young black comic go on stage and they, you can see them go, Oh, what's good. And then they love it and they have a great time, you know, and that's yeah. because, because they're funny and that, that's all that matters, you know? Yeah. It's, well, I think it, 
the 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 assumption that people from this town might not like that comic i think gets flipped on its head when you remember that most people most sane self-aware people actually quite like laughing at themselves so if you have someone that is almost the opposite of them politically walking in the room not even politically but just from a different walk of life uh mocking and sort of you know prodding the bear like yeah. playfully and making like holding a mirror up which is you know that's what stand-up is right holding a mirror up to yourself but also to the audience and saying look you know this is what you guys do right like and you know reminding them of some of the uh, the the nuances of life um i don't know i think yeah, there's, there's I, real comedic mileage in that right oh totally and 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 i think it's a real shame that we've got into this kind of culture war world where um pick a side yeah you've got to pick <laughs> a side it's it's quite tribal and if you're taking the piss out of someone it's not that you're just taking the piss out that you're some attacking them and yeah. you're you're saying you're better than they are you know um and you know obviously brexit was maybe the first big moment of that where um if you mentioned it in a room you know it it, it, it could sometimes particularly outside of the big cities it could sometimes get a very frosty reaction even really? just sort of saying yeah. the word you know because there was a sort of <clears throat> a sense of people thinking oh i don't want to be you know, I don't want to be told off or I don't want to, I don't want someone to come along and mock my beliefs or what I think is right or whatever. Uh, or, I, you know, I voted for a thing and that's, I'm allowed to vote for stuff. That's my right. And, you know, and I don't want this kid from London to come up and tell me that I'm somehow, you know, an idiot. And which is totally, all of which is totally understandable. But yeah, it was interesting talking about doing jokes about Brexit or, you know, in the after, in the recent aftermath of it, because it kind of, it was suddenly like, oh God, you do have to be a bit aware of, what you know that the room is going to be split wherever wherever you are even if you're in a very sort of inverted commas remain area or leave area there is going to be a mix of people who mm. some who voted for it very strongly others who didn't really care that much and some who just want to forget about it and and it you know it felt very like a very live issue and that was quite interesting and i i you know i found that that was before i was doing satirical stuff online but i was doing some i had a few brexit jokes and um, I enjoyed doing them because my favorite time to do them was in a room which I was quite aware was quite levy, you know, right. was quite kind of, you know, if I was in a, you know, to use a, another, you know, a cliche, if I was in a sort of middle of Essex or Surrey or somewhere, I was like, yeah, this is, this is going to be quite a levy area. Yeah. Uh, and it was quite a challenge then to be like, how do I do these jokes about Brexit, which is sort of about how I don't think Brexit is a good idea, but I'm not just coming out and saying, I think Brexit is terrible. I'm sort of coming at it from angles um can i make them laugh at jokes about that even though that they're sort of laughing at themselves and it was quite yeah it was fun and i think i m mostly managed to do it there were some times where i thought okay they've they just don't like me because of this but <laughs> a lot of the time i was you know because i wasn't coming because i think there is a danger with political comedy you come out and go everyone who voted brexit is a prick and yeah like, I, and i saw I saw a surprising number of people basically do that, you know, basically come out and say that. Um, and I think I did that like the very first gig after the vote. Yeah. In 2016, like I had a gig in London and I came and I just kind of let, I was like, Oh God, what's going, you know, what's happening? Why are these people doing? But very quickly after that, and that, you know, that worked because I was in London and people were mostly on my side, but oh, very quickly after that, I said, well, you can't just, tell people they're wrong what what kind of comedy is that like that's not yeah you know that's unless you're playing simply to people who agree with you and then is that comedy or is that just ranting and there is a yeah. place for ranting and the place for ranting 
is on the internet, <laughs> you know, <laughs> where, where people can have their say back and, you know, you can find your audience. But in a, in a live situation where people are expecting you to be funny, if you just come on and call them all idiots, that's probably not going to work. Yeah. I, I read that that sort of uh, preachy breed of comedy described as uh, like not comedy, but clap medy because people <laughs> people yeah. will like applaud it. And they're like, yeah, I agree with you. But ultimately, it's like this jokeless preach fest. It's like, well, I'm not sure that's yeah. stand up anymore. That's just, you know. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, I've heard it described as, you know, clapter. People are lo looking for clapter rather than laughter. And I but also, yeah, and that, that's but also there is a there is a place for that too that you know there are plenty of comic you know successful comics over the years who've basically done that it's yeah. just that now we're in this world where um it's suddenly all a bit more you know we're all more aware of it because of social media because everyone's able to share stuff and um i mean i, I was listening to something the other day um another podcast and i can't remember which one it was but someone said something which i thought was really interesting it's, you know there's a that there's this idea at the moment and it's been it's been a current idea for a long time because I actually did an Edinburgh show in 2011 with this as a sort of basic idea, which is that we're all living in bubbles, mm. you know, that we all live in sort of echo chambers and bubbles. Um, and and this person said, and, and so we only hear people we actually agree with and all that stuff. But, yeah, I think I would agree with the person who said it's actually the opposite. We now live in a world where we're so bombarded all the time with opinions and people that we dislike and we mm. don't want to hear from but social media is constantly putting those into our feeds whether we like it or not and so we're and but, but crucially they're also the people who are the most extreme you know we're, we're hearing from the the most extreme versions of the right wing and the most extreme versions of the of the uh, the left wing and so people feel kind of completely barraged by that stuff and so we're and, and i think arguably humans we're just not really built for that you know mm. we're built to be around people we kind of get on with and we have a reasonably nice relationship with everybody we're not built to be constantly barraged by totally insane opinions that we think completely mad which make us angry and make us upset or make us incredibly like um yes i need to do something like all the time it's like we're always we're always in that sort of um heightened adrenalized state of something's going to happen um and i guess that's why when i do comedy i try to have it have fun with it as well as it being uh, you know making a point because th th i think that then slightly lowers the temperature <laughs> a bit you know yeah. people are laughing they're not they're not angry you it's quite hard to laugh and be angry at the same time i think yeah um you know and maybe that's you know i don't know it's 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 a really important important uh point to to tap into there is that yeah like the, the way that the algorithms work is they feed you things that are designed to stimulate you and to to keep you tapping and replying and commenting and quote tweeting and, and all the rest of it um but yeah those comments those tweets come from as you say like the very far right and the very far left so everyone consequently on the right thinks that everyone on the left is a sort of i don't know um <laughs> black lesbian trans something you know like it, it like yeah. the extreme yeah. box tick box tick box tick and and the inverse is also true everyone on the left that well certainly a lot of people on on twitter think that everyone on the right is just a hardcore racist brexiter yeah. and actually what you find when you step away from twitter and you talk to your friends that that may have voted conservative at some point in in the past is that everyone kind of sits broadly in the middle 
but they're just willing to step outside of that to vote for their team. I just want Team Blue to remain in. And you're like, I, yeah. I would feel more comfortable if Team Red stayed in. But yeah, you're right. It's sort of, for the most part, people have, well, what's that? What's the quote? People have more in common than, than divides them, right? Yeah, I think that's true. And I think that <clears throat> we, yeah, we, we live in weird times for that, that we're now in this world where, you know, you can totally spend your whole life, particularly in America. I mean, obviously, America's gone off the deep end on this, but you can you can <laughs> yeah. you can live in a world where you have totally, you know, wraparound propaganda the whole time where nobody, you know, Fox News, you can watch it all day, all night, and no one's ever going to say anything that you disagree with. Mm. And this thing of um, there's no challenge, there's no idea that, well, maybe some people on the right have a point and some people on the left of a point and maybe we could kind of come you know there used to be conservative democrats and liberal republicans mm. in the same way there used to be conservative labor people and um liberal tories and those again are being sort of pushed out of each party um again happening i think much more in america than in this country i think it's slightly different here but <clears throat> because of the primary system you know that we have a system in america where y y if you're a republican you'll never win unless you go quite right wing and you know democrats will never win unless they go quite left wing and it's and it just gets more and more extreme and then yeah when the general election comes along suddenly you've got two very extreme choices and that's actually as you say not what most people in the country want most people in the country want somewhere someone somewhere in the middle but you're never going to get that when you've got that kind of um mm. extreme and system and i can't i just can't see how that's going to change without some sort of big structural change and like yeah like even if that even <clears throat> if the individuals themselves are not that extreme even if the initiatives and programs that they want to implement in the american political system it feels like uh either they have to subscribe to a lot of that nonsense to to get through the primary system as you've said uh, or even if they don't have to do that they get painted as though they are that extreme version by their opposite yeah. number um it's interesting though so now now that we're talking about the american system um obviously trump has been uh, indicted and there's a lot of talk about what that's going to do to his presidential aspirations um i thought it would just put it to bed because even though like if he's not you know behind bars i don't personally think he'll be jailed as a result of this i think it's more likely he'll be you know fined and a slap on the wrist it might set a precedent in terms of some of the other charges that he's facing and life could get more complicated for him but in terms of this actual case i think it would put his presidential aspirations to bed purely on the basis that it's going to be really fucking difficult for him to continue to to fly back to new york to do this to appear at this court date like to fight that case and to go for the presidency seems a bit yeah. of a stretch. I mean, I think I, re I wish I agreed with you. I think the problem is, I think it's kind of just turbocharging it at the moment. Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, I was reading about it today and apparently the next, the next court date where they have to, or the, the date where they have to get the motions in for the court is, is August. And right. then the next actual court date is December. So it's like, you know, it's like months and months, you know, the legal system moves so slowly in these situations. And and his whole thing over years and years and years uh, of business is delay, 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 attack, delay, you know, try to kind of attack the um, uh, the integrity of the people involved and delay and delay and delay and never actually get into a courtroom because that's where bad things can happen. And yeah, I just think we're in this weird world now where <clears throat> whatever happens to him, his supporters will love it. And 
you know, he, he will, he has no, um, there are no guardrails with him. You know, maybe if there ever were, there certainly aren't any more. And mm. he's happy to say things that are outrageous. And unfortunately, so, you know, and his supporters are, you know, the Marjorie Taylor Greens of this world are, are able to say the most ludicrous things on TV and people just sort of go, oh, oh, can't believe you said that. It's like, yeah, but yes, you can't, you should believe it because they've been saying it for years. Yeah. Um, and um, I, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I think this court case um, will probably help him in the primary but I don't think be, just because of that, there's the, because the Republican Party is phenomenally spineless when it comes to Trump, like they just they have had so many opportunities to be to just drop him, you yeah. know, to, to get rid of him. You know, January the 6th is the obvious one. They could have just if they just impeached him and you know, that would have been it. Mm. Like he would have been gone. He, you know, yeah, obviously he's not literally got, you know, he would have still been around as a figure. But um but, it, you know, if they'd impeached him and said, you cannot run for president again, they would have cleansed him from their party. And, yeah, they'd have had a few of their they'd have had people say, how dare you do that and stuff. But actually, I think fairly quickly it would have kind of been like, OK, well, what next? You know, who next? What's the next thing? Mm. Um, you know, maybe DeSantis would have come into the picture or whatever. But it's but it just feels like they've just they just won't because they're scared of him and they're scared of his supporters. And they don't want to get attacked on Twitter. They don't want their support, the supporters to turn up at their houses and, and boo. And I, I get it. I understand why they don't want that. But, but you're right, party, though. you know, it's so sort of cowardly. It's so like, like, is there not one Republican senator or congressman or somebody with a bit of gravitas and gusto who can actually just stand up and say, this is utterly fucking. I mean, I know look, there's been some um, yeah. Mitt Romney, um, Liz Cheney. And they have paid the political price for for doing yeah. that, but it just seems like they are absolutely the exception to the rule, and the rest of them are very very happy to just carry on riding on that Trump train, even when it seems like that Trump train is the, the stat I heard this morning is he's commanding like thirty percent support from the wider Republican Party, um, which is reasonable but i don't think it's like he needs more than that to become president so the yeah, no, idea that I they should i don't think he can win yeah i don't i don't well famous last words but i just don't think he can win the general election in, yeah. in a situation where he's under indictment and you know is is going as crazy as he is like he can definitely win the primary but i just don't think a general election is likely to because 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 <clears throat> he didn't win 2020 mm. despite what he says and he didn't win in 2022 you know all of the trump candidates did quite badly you know mm. the maga candidates generally did quite badly in america uh, in the midterms and um it shows i think that general you know the general voter just isn't isn't on his side you know mm. they're, they're the republicans have the same problem that we've been talking about of they're in their echo chamber they're in fox news they think that fox news is the world yeah is the country and they see all these people turning up at his rallies and going, you know, you're amazing. And they think, oh, wow, he's got this incredible. But he's not. You know, he doesn't have the amount of support that he used to. And he certainly doesn't have the support from the sort of the general independent voter, I think. Um, yeah. You know, I don't want to make any predictions, but it feels to me like this is just going to go on and on and on. And then if he does end up winning the primary, I, you know, barring some crazy things happening and you can never <laughs> you can never discount that happening. 
I just don't see him being able to win. But you know, who knows? Yeah, I don't know. I, like I, I feel like there's, and I've, I've got to be really careful how I how I articulate this. Here. So you you're right that they have this sort of echo chamber uh, thing where the Republican senators, the decision makers, his supporters, they live in this sort of bubble where it's all about Trump. And, and he himself is sort of consumed by that flag waving, that support, people traveling from different states to come and shout his name at him. There was a footage I saw this morning on Twitter of him sort of waving all his supporters out the limousine as he goes to board. Like, that's the world that he lives in. And yet the wider country, as as we're saying now, seems to be sort of losing interest in him. His approval ratings are down. Um, the likelihood of him winning the next election. And again, I don't necessarily want to make predictions but it looks like he probably won't win it um but yet yeah it's like sort of i don't know there's a parallel there between like some comedians that i've met along the way where their aspiration is not to be the next michael mcintyre or um or, or whoever they just want to formulate a steady following of people who really fucking love them so they're never like they, they're not going for the mainstream ticket they don't need to win over all however many states they just want to be truly fucking adored by the people who rock up at Mar-a-Lago. Like, I'm, I'm mixing my metaphors here, yeah. like political candidates and comedians. But you, you get the point. Like, I wonder if he's actually, in some senses, he's kind of won what he actually wanted to win, which is to get oh. this adulation. Oh, totally. I mean, he's one, you know, he's the most famous man in the world. And, and he, you know, he's got this kind of, yeah, he definitely, that's what he's always been in it for. But also money, you know, that mm. people are sending him money to yeah. pay for his legal fees it's just insane you know it is. Like, this man why would you send a billionaire <laughs> i'm a billionaire guys so i don't need to take money from any but please donate please donate like yeah it's extraordinary and i think it's just it is it is you know he is it's not a, it's not a, a, a an original observation but he's he's so clearly an absolute complete malignant narcissist you know there's no nothing exists apart from him and no one exists apart from him and no one matters apart from him and that's why you know it is all about him it's always been about him and about his adulation and he desperately wants new york to love him he definitely desperately wants the mainstream press to love him because mm. they don't he you know they they become like spurned lovers who you know he he's a uh, he's angry with and, and hates and lashes out at you know he's that classic sort of um mat, you know very male thing of like if you don't love me i will kill you basically mm. and it's that that that's kind of what's happened with him i think he's definitely i mean he's definitely achieved what he wanted to do but also he's a loser you know he's now a two-time loser and that is the worst possible thing in his life you know the idea of being a loser mm. is the worst insult he can throw at anyone so you can see why he's going to keep going and he's never going to back down and the problem is that the republican party you know they have a they have a choice to make and they could if they all swung behind another candidate they could beat him in the mm. primaries because i think i think generally the republican party is not MAGA, you know, there are loads of MAGA people in it and they are definitely running the show at the moment, but they aren't all that. <clears throat> and there's plenty of Republicans who'd be quite happy to get a less sort of mad candidate. Um, but the, the way the primary system works is that, you know, the Republican Party, I believe it's, you know, it's winner takes all. So if, so every state that they vote, if you mm. get 20% and everyone else gets 19, 18, 20, you get all the votes. And so all he has to do is get his chunk of the party, his 20, 30% to vote for him every time. And he'll just win because 
there's no one else who's going to come come up against him. But if they all, because there's too many candidates, but if they all swung behind one candidate and mm. said he is the anti-Trump candidate, but they're not going to because they need the Trump voters to 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 vote as well. So it's yeah. this sort of they're in this kind of trap now of their own making where they didn't beat him when he you know was beatable, and now he's not. Yeah. Well, now he's become <clears> this sort of almost almost religious type figure. Like I saw a totally. interview with a. Uh, a lady the other day and she literally referred to herself as a QAnon prophet and i was like yeah. are we actually that that's where we're at now with this with which like yeah. i joked about it being sort of religious and you know the trump doctrine and uh and all of that stuff but now they're literally going on the news describing them like as though he's jesus as that i think marjorie T taylor green was drawing parallels between trump and jesus and Trump yeah. and Nelson Mandela, yes, like he's some sort well, of person. Yeah, they were all arrested, weren't they? You know, all these great figures who were arrested <laughs> in history. So, yeah, there were also other people who were arrested, like criminals. Yeah, <laughs> I've been arrested, yeah. Matt. I'm not sure it makes me a messiah. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see where it ends because at the moment, yeah, so he's just been indicted. He's gone back to Mar-a-Lago. He's done this speech to his sort of, you know, party faithful or to the Trump faithful. Um, no doubt he'll be uh, applauded and celebrated and and every legal entanglement that he gets into will be seen as like it, it doesn't matter like if there's black or white evidence in front of these people in front of his supporters saying this is what he did here's the proof it was falsified he did it for this reason and we know that because of x y and z they will literally just look at it point blank and go i don't believe you because he told yeah. me not to believe you like because because we live in a world of alternative facts you know you have your facts i have mine you know mm. and that's uh and I, you know, I genuinely—that <clears throat> is my biggest fear for <laughs> the future—is I just don't see how, I don't see how that gets resolved because we all like to read stuff we agree with and watch stuff we agree with, and it's it it takes a little bit of effort to not do that. Mm. And if you're in a world which is constantly feeding you stuff that you agree with, why would you ever not? You know, yeah. why would you ever? Uh, and I try to, you know, I read newspapers I don't agree with, and I read. And I watch stuff, but it, I can feel it. I can. There's a part of me going, "Oh, I don't really like this." You know, I'd rather just read something from someone that I know I'll I'll agree with. And uh, it's uh, yeah, it's it's a struggle. Mm. Well, here's some other stuff that hopefully people will agree with. Uh, <laughs> Matt Green is on tour. Uh, yes. very very soon. <laughs> um, the tickets for his tour are not out yet. But he is doing a few work in progress shows at the Camden Fringe, Brighton Fringe and indeed Edinburgh Fringe later this year. Um, he will be releasing tickets for that um, on the Fringe sites, but also you can get updates on it uh, via mattgreencomedy.com. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, the, I was going to say tonight. I'm so used to saying tonight <laughs> when I'm doing these shows. Thank yeah, you for yeah. joining me this afternoon, Matt. Um, it's been a pleasure. I'll be back on Friday night, guys, for the solo show uh, in which I will be ranting, ridiculing and roasting the week's news and current affairs. Uh, if you are enjoying the podcast, uh, please do consider jumping on the Patreon. It's patreon.com forward slash Aid Thompson. Um, until next time, take care of yourselves. I'm out.